Please turn with me to Lord's Day 16 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which can be found on page 489 of your books of praise. Lord's Day 16. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted, that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. After the proclamation of the word, let us respond by singing together hymn 55, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in ancient Israel, before the time of Christ, there was one special day of the year, which was called the Day of Atonement. This was one day of the whole year when the high priest in Israel would enter the most holy place in the center of the temple. The high priest would have to put on his sacred linen tunic. He would have to put a linen sash around his waist. And he would put a linen turban on his head. And when he went into the temple, into the most holy place, before he could do that, he would actually have to make offerings for his own sins, just so he could approach the Lord. But when he went into the temple... He had to carry a censer, a metal censer, full of burning incense. And then he would sprinkle the blood of a bull and of a goat on the atonement cover, which was a a plate of pure gold, which covered the ark. And then he would put his hands on a goat, and he would send that goat away. The high priest had to do all these things as a way of making atonement for the people. Making atonement meant making peace with God. This was all necessary because of Israel's sinfulness. And so the Day of Atonement was a special day when all of the sins of the Israelites were symbolically forgiven. When the priest put his hands on the scapegoat and sent that goat off into the wilderness... He symbolically put all of Israel's sins on that goat. So this was a ceremony to show the people that their sins were really forgiven. 
Year after year, the ceremony continued because of Israel's sinfulness. Year after year, God forgave the Israelites their sins. When we come to Revelation 5, we see that this sacrifice had taken place. There, the Apostle John, in a vision, sees the throne room of God. There, he sees the Lord with a scroll in his hand. And no one was able to break the seals of the scroll. No one was worthy. No one, except for one. That was the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, which had triumphed. And who is that? What does John see? He sees a lamb. The lamb was an animal that was often used for sacrifices, in particular for the Passover feast. And this lamb looked as if it had been slain. It had already been killed. It's very clear who this lamb is. This lamb is our Lord Jesus Christ, who was the final sacrifice for sins. As I mentioned earlier, the Day of Atonement had to be repeated year after year. But the sacrifice of Christ only had to happen once. Christ died on the cross as that final lamb which was slain. He took away all of our sins. Christ's sacrifice takes away all sins, past, present, and future. There are no more sacrifices necessary after Christ's sacrifice on the cross. His death means that he buys us complete freedom from our sins. This afternoon we will look at how Christ's death brings salvation to us and how it makes us able to serve God. This afternoon I have summarized Lord's Day 16 under the following theme. Salvation is ours because Christ endured suffering and death for us. Christ's suffering and death was necessary for us, it was beneficial for us, and it was hellish for us. Salvation is ours because Christ endured suffering and death for us. Christ's suffering and death was necessary for us, it was beneficial for us, and it was hellish for us. The first question of Lord's Day 16 asks why it was necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death. In other words, why did Christ have to die? Christ died to pay for our sins. There is no other way in which our sins could be paid for. The sacrifices of lambs and of bulls and goats were enough to please God, but they could never pay for sins. Animals could never satisfy God's demand for justice. Nor could they satisfy His demand for truth. You see, God demands that His justice be done. That means that if Christ did not die for our sins, the debt to God for our sins would still be outstanding. We would still be sinful people before God. And God is a holy God. God cannot and will not allow sin to stand before Him. He will not allow unholy people who are weighed down by sins to live before Him. God is perfect. God dwells in perfections. 
He cannot exist with imperfections before him. This is not a matter of minor imperfections on our part. If we only had minor imperfections, then perhaps God could overlook them. But our sins are major imperfections. They're like concrete barriers in the way of perfect life with God. You can't go through them. You can't drive through them. Lord's Day 4 says that God will not allow disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished. That's what our sins are. They're disobedience. They're apostasy. They're rebellion against God. When we sin, we turn our backs to God. Whenever we sin, we rebel against God, and we act as if we don't want God. In the same way, a marriage cannot last if one of the persons in a marriage is constantly turning away from that person and acting like that person does not matter. If a husband is unfaithful to his wife, or if a wife is unfaithful to her husband, then that marriage cannot last. Yes, the couple may stay together for the sake of appearances, and superficially it might look okay, but that marriage will not be a functional marriage. And that's how our relationship with God is. Because of the sins, the relationship cannot function the way it is. God insists that that situation come to an end. God will not tolerate our sins or our sinfulness. God cannot tolerate it when we turn our backs to Him. Thus Christ had to die in order that the situation might change. He had to take away all of our injustices that we have done to God and to free us from the cycle of sin that we're in. God also sent His Son as a sacrifice in order, to say, in order to stay true to His Word. God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that if they sinned against Him, they would surely die. Now granted, Adam and Eve did not fall down dead immediately after they ate from the tree of which they were not allowed to eat. But they did become mortal. They became subject to death so that they could not live eternally. They had to die. Worse than that, they died spiritually when they sinned. No longer could they serve God in love and truth. No longer could their thoughts be righteous before the Lord. Yet God remains a God of truth. And God's Word must stand. He will not set aside His demand for truth. God's Word remains true and sure. Therefore, God must demand payment from us or He would be a liar. That's why God sent His Son to die for us. By suffering and dying for us, Christ was able to satisfy God's demands for justice and truth. The Apostles' Creed even adds that he was buried. He was buried, and that's proof that he indeed died, and that he really did pay for our sins beyond a doubt. Christ was a sacrifice. We didn't all have to die for our sins. Our sins were transferred to our Lord Jesus, and he bore our sins when he died. 
someone else other than ourselves paid for us. Thus God is pleased because His justice and His truth remain intact and we don't have to pay for sins that we can't pay for. We can see a similar thing happening in our own homes. In families where there are young children, things have a tendency to break easily. When little Johnny breaks his mother's special vase, she will be unhappy. She will be angry with Johnny. She will want that vase replaced. But little Johnny can't afford to pay for it. He doesn't earn any money. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't even have a car or a license to go out and go to the store and get a new vase. His mother can give him a spanking and send him uh, to bed without supper. But that won't bring the vase back. Yet mother's vase must be replaced or she won't be happy. How do we resolve the situation? Well, when dad comes home and sees that mom's favorite vase is broken, he will get into the car and he will go down to the store and he will buy a vase just like the one which has been broken. So mom will be happy again because she has a beautiful vase again. And little Johnny won't have to pay for the vase he could not afford to pay for. And that's exactly what God does for us when he sends his son to die and pay for the sins that we could not pay for. Like that mother, God will not be satisfied unless justice is met. But in this case, instead of a vase being paid for, God is satisfied that all of our sins have been paid for and that they're no longer a roadblock to communion with Him. And we who, like little Johnny, cannot pay for our sins don't have to make that payment because Christ makes it for us. Thus, Christ's death was necessary so that we could be at peace with God. Revelation also gives us two other reasons why Christ had to suffer and die. First of all, Christ had to die in order that he would be worthy to break the seven seals of the scroll in God's hand. Now, by breaking the seven seals, Christ makes the events which follow his death possible. He brings out a new era in the history of the world, an era which includes war, poverty, death, persecutions, and suffering as the gospel goes out to all the nations, Christ was worthy to open the seals of history because he has purchased us with his blood. Secondly, Christ brings glory to himself and to God. That's why Revelations 5, verses 12 and 13 contain songs of praise to the Lamb, who is Christ, and to the one who sits on the throne, namely God. Christ's death means that there is an innumerable multitude of people who can praise and worship God, as we read about in Revelation 7, verse 9 and following. This would not have happened if Christ had not died and paid for our sins. Thus, Christ's sacrifice on the cross exists not only for our sake, but also so that God may receive all the glory. Because of Christ's death, there is a multitude of people who can praise God forever. Thus God's justice and mercy come together in Christ so that we can have perfection in heaven. There, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. 
There will be no more hunger. There will be no more thirst. There will be no more scorching heat. These things will all pass as we live with God in perfection. Brings us to our second point. Christ's death was not only necessary for us to enjoy a, a perfect existence with God in the future, but it also benefits us in our lives right here on this earth while we wait for the return of Christ. Christ's death changes your life right now. It changes who you are. You don't have to wait until you go to heaven to be changed by Christ. Yes, you will be changed then too, because you'll become perfect. But because you've been bought by the blood of Christ, you belong to Him now. Christ's death doesn't make you sinless in this life, we may wish that it did. We have to wait for heaven to be that, until that will happen. But we can be free from the influence of the devil in this life. Maybe not perfectly. This does not mean that we will be without sin. But it means that we're no longer in bondage to sin. We no longer belong to sin. We no longer belong to the devil who provokes us to sin. Even though we do continue to sin in this life... We have died to sin with Christ, and we have been bought by Christ. Therefore, we belong to Christ and not to sin. That's the point of question and answer 43. Through Christ, our old nature is put to death, and the new nature, that nature which desires to serve Christ, will live in us. The Catechism bases this mostly on the first verses of Romans 6 which say that we cannot live in sin and expect grace to abound. If Christ died for us, we are not to live for sin. We have been redeemed from our sins. Christ bought us so that we could serve Him already in this life. In the song of praise in Revelation 5, verse 10, the elders sing, You have made them referring to the people that Christ bought with his blood, to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Since Christ has purchased us, we belong to him. We have the task of serving him as priests. We have to make sacrifices in our lives because our lives were bought by Christ and we belong to Christ. Thus we have to be willing to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, says Romans 12, verse 1. That means that we no longer conform to the pattern of this world. It means that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, says verse 2. Thus Christ's death on the cross makes it possible to serve God, even though we're still sinful in this life. It gives us all the command to make sacrifices in this life and to serve God just as priests do. Christ gives us what we need in order to serve him. Look at the uh, description of the lamb, namely Christ, in Revelation 5, verse 6. It says that he has seven horns and seven eyes. The horns are an Old Testament symbol of power. Christ is powerful. Christ has the power to save us and to work in us and to make us willing to serve God. 
He also has seven eyes, which, it, the, which Revelations 5 says are the seven spirits of God. So the seven spirits of God represent the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in this world. He dwells in us and lives in our hearts. He makes us desire to serve God and to live for Him. Thus God does not ask us for more than we can do when He commands us to serve Him. He commands us because of the work of our Son, of His Son, and He equips us to serve Him by the death of His Son. Through Christ's death we have comfort in this life. We have comfort that our sins are paid for. We are not sinners in the hands of an angry God as long as we belong to Christ. We are sinners in the hands of a saving God instead. We also have the comfort that we belong to Christ both in life and in death. We know that we will not disappear into oblivion when we die, as some teach nor will we have to pay for every wrong that we ever did in a place like purgatory as the Church of Rome teaches, nor do we have to worry that we have not done enough good to go to heaven. Through Christ's death, the door has been opened ahead of us so that we can enter heaven and so that we can live with our Creator after Judgment Day. There we will have eternal blessedness. We will serve God with joy and perfection on that day. And we will serve Him every day. There's no no hunger, there's no thirst, there's no scorching heat. In other words, there will be no pain in heaven. There will be no more suffering of any kind. We will all live under the perfect rule of our Shepherd Jesus Christ. What glorious promises we have in this life. How privileged we are to have the comfort that man will live with God again because Christ made it possible through His death. Therefore, don't turn your backs on Christ, your Savior. If you do, then you will lose all of these privileges and all of these comforts and all of these hopes of living with God in eternal blessedness. The question might arise in the minds of some, Why then do we have to wait for this? If we're saved by Christ, why do we still have to die? Why can't we just go straight into heaven? To answer this question, we must realize that even though Christ has died and Christ has paid for our sins, we're still mortal. We're still subject to death. We still die if Christ does not come back before we die. There are no shortcuts to heaven for us. We still have to live on this earth. We still have to fulfill that priestly task of serving God on this earth. We're waiting until the number of the elect may be complete. We're waiting until Christ comes again on the clouds of heaven at a time that God has determined. The Catechism does point out to us that death is not a completely bad thing. It's a sad thing, but it's not a completely bad thing. You see, our death is not a payment for sins. 
If it was, that would be bad. Our death is not needed as a payment for sins. Christ has already died. He has paid for our sins. He has made the payment. Instead, our death puts an end to this life, this life of sorrow and sin. And our death opens the door to eternal life. Our death is the result of our sinfulness and our sinful nature. There's no getting around that. But our death does not save us from sin. Only Christ does that. Christ suffered and endured the deepest pain and suffering so that our death would not be needed to pay for sins. Now that brings us to the third point, that Christ's death is hellish for us. It doesn't mean that we feel hellish because of Christ's death. It means hellish on our behalf. It's tempting for us as Christians to take Christ for granted We know and believe that Christ saves us. We're sinful human beings. We're busy people. We're easily so busy that our salvation by Christ's death fades into the background of our lives. It can even happen in the lives of believers that during the day they're so busy that they forget how precious Christ's death is. Brothers and sisters, let's not forget how painful Christ's death was. It was very painful. Sure, there was the pain of hanging on the cross. The nails through Christ's hands and feet were extremely painful, no doubt about it. But the deepest pain was not the physical pain. His deepest pain was the weight of our sins which He had to bear in order to satisfy God's justice and truth. This was not a light load for Christ to bear. At the end of Christ's life, he had to be nailed to the cross. There on the cross, he had to endure three hours of darkness. And during those hours, he was rejected by God the Father. The Father would not even look upon the Son because of the sins he was paying for. That's how serious our sins are. Only Christ could endure such a punishment. He was a man like us, so that He could pay for us. But He was also God. And in that way, He could bear the weight of God's wrath completely. He had to endure this punishment for our sins. He had to bear the weight of God's wrath against all of us, For all of our sins. He had to take the punishment of our sins. He bore the weight of every nasty comment you made. He suffered for every time you lied to someone or hated someone. He died for every adulterous thought or act which you may have thought or done. Christ died for all of your sins. He did not physically go to hell after he was buried. That's what some in history have claimed. He didn't have to go to hell. Hell came to Christ when he was on the cross. You see, hell is more than just the outer darkness that we read about in Scripture. It's more than just the lake of fire and sulfur that we can read about in Revelation. 
into which Satan and all unbelievers are thrown. Hell is to be separated from God. That is what Christ suffered in His life, and especially on the cross, when God turned away from Him for a while. Now Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Revelation 5 portrays Christ as the Lamb that was standing in the center of the throne. He was at the center. So His position was more glorious than the elders or the living creatures in heaven. But that's because it wasn't always that way. He first had to suffer rejection on earth by men and by God in order that He might satisfy God's justice and His truth to pay for our sins. So the benefit is that we don't have to suffer hell like Christ did. We don't have to be rejected by God or forsaken like Christ was. Christ was forsaken once so that you would never have to be forsaken by God. Thus we can approach God. We can live with God in the afterlife. We can be part of that multitude of people that multitude made up from people from every tribe and every nation and language that sings salvation to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. We have eternal life because Christ. And we have that eternal life provided that we continue to believe in Christ. No longer is it necessary to make sacrifices for sins. No longer do we need a high priest to sprinkle blood and to make offerings for us. The final sacrifice has been made. God's justice and God's truth have been satisfied. And God is once again pleased to call us His children. Thus we will not have to suffer alienation from God as the unbelievers will. We will be able to live close to God. We'll be able to live in communion with God. We will be able to be perfectly holy as God is perfectly holy. This is not a small thing for us, brothers and sisters, to become perfectly holy. Do we desire that holiness? Do we, try, do we, do we eagerly desire that holiness which comes from Christ because of His death? And do we look forward to the holiness, the perfection that we will have, that we can live with God one day? Let us then live our lives as people whose sins have been paid for. Let us live like we belong to this kingdom of priests as we look forward to that day when we can serve God with perfect service. Let us look forward to that great and glorious day. Amen.